like birds wanting to fall on their prey, these demons are luring people, deceiving people, convincing people to follow after the Antichrist. Welcome to Search the Scriptures, the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Carl Brogy, Senior Pastor of Community Bible Church in Beaufort, South Carolina. Today we move into chapter 18 of our study in the book of Revelation. We saw in the previous chapter that following the rapture of all true Christians, the Antichrist will set up a new world order that consists of an apostate religion and a one world government and economic system which will be centered in a place the Bible calls Babylon. As we join Dr. Brogy, he will address three truths found in the first three verses of chapter 18 in a message entitled, The Fall of Babylon the Great. This is probably, some would say, the most difficult chapter in all of Revelation. But it is understandable if we will pay attention and listen to what God has to say. So what John does here in these first three verses is he gives us three truths concerning the coming fall of Babylon. The first there in your outline concerns this sentence on Babylon. First, the sentence on Babylon. God already gave us a preview earlier in the 14th chapter where he said, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. She who has made all the nations to drink of the wine of the passion of her immorality. But now he says in chapter 18 and verse 1, after these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illumined with his glory. Now, we've seen that phrase after these things. This is the seventh time it appears in the Revelation. And each time you see that phrase, after these things, it's introducing us to a, to, the, to a new vision, to the next vision. And that's important because the destruction of religious Babylon is over in chapter 17. And now he is moving to the second aspect of Babylon, commercial Babylon. In chapter 17, we saw how the kings of the world were glad when the religious harlot was destroyed. They rejoice, and they are the tool that the Antichrist uses to destroy religious Babylon. But chapter 18 is obviously describing a different description of Babylon because here the kings of the earth mourn greatly. There's great lament when commercial Babylon is destroyed. And it doesn't come from their hand. It comes from the hand of God Almighty. And so after these things, meaning after the angel who speaks at the end of chapter 17, and then after the destruction of mystery Babylon, there is still yet another angel. Now, sometimes people, they create these web pages or they write these books and they come up with all these fanciful, crazy, wacko explanations of what is happening. And it sells books. It really creates a market and it makes some poor man rich. 88 Reasons Why Christ Will Come in 1988. It was a bestseller. He sold 5 million copies. He's a rich man. But it didn't happen, now did it? So another angel, some say, well, this is Jesus. This is not Jesus. This is another angel. Another angel. Now remember, there are two words. And by the way, the reason they try to build that case, you think, well, how could anyone be so stupid? Well, he is going to come with great shining and glory. And we know that at the end of the bold judgments that were described at the end of chapter 16 that brings Jesus back from heaven, everything gets dark. 
The sun is basically turned off in terms of its ability to shine light. The moon is turned to a blood red. It is very dark. And this glorious, magnificent, shining angel comes into the world. They say, well, that's Jesus. No, immediately after the tribulation, so at the end of the 70th week, we don't know exactly how many days, maybe it's two, maybe it's three, but remember, all things happen very quickly, Jesus said in the opening verses of the Revelation. But no man can pinpoint the day or the hour. That's a verse not in reference to the rapture, but to the second coming. No man knows the day or the hour. You say, well, this is when the treaty was signed. And if it's 42 months plus 42 months, the second coming must happen on this day. No one knows the day or the hour. Immediately after this 70th week, sometime short thereafter, Jesus comes back to the earth. And so you read, read the end of Daniel 12. Remember, he talks about 1260 days, and then he talks about some days thereafter, and blessed is the one who perseveres to the end, because those who persevere know the Lord. This is another angel. Now, there are two words for another in Greek, and I think most of you know that by now. There's the word alos, and there's the word heteros. We have one word in English. There's two in Greek, and they're important words, and we've seen their importance in the Revelation as to how John uses them. If I ask you for an alos biblios, alos means another of the same kind. You would have to give me, I said, if I said I want an alos biblios, you'd have to give me another Bible. But if I said I want a heteros biblios, another book, heteros, it comes into our language, heterosexual or heterodoxy. It means another of a different kind. We are to be committed to orthodoxy, heterodoxy, which is covering the land more and more, that is against the true revelation of Scripture. So if I ask you for a heteros biblios, you could give me another book of a different kind. You could give me a book on running or a book on hunting or in golf or any book that you wanted to give. This is another angel similar to the one that is mentioned in chapter 17. And no one doubts that the guy at the end of chapter 17 is a real angel, but to sell books, they create this angel differently. What do we know about this other angel who's another of the same kind? Well, three characteristics are underscored concerning him. First, he comes with great authority, the Bible says here in the opening verse, and he comes down from heaven. He's coming from the presence of God Almighty. He's coming with great authority. He's coming to act and to speak on God's behalf. Secondly, we are told in addition that when he comes down to the earth, the earth is illumined with his glory. Now, again, if, if this happens immediately after the seventh bowl and everything is dark, his glory would really shine. But even if God hasn't turned out the light yet, it's like Jesus on the Damascus road where at noon, when the sun's the highest and brightest in the sky, he still is able to blind Paul at his glorified body. You light a candle during the day and it does nothing. You light it at night and it illumines things. In either case, this angel comes with tremendous glory, much like Moses, who came out of the presence of God and his face shone, much like Stephen, his face shone like an angel. And so Moses covered his face. This angel comes with such incredible blazing light and glory. People see him. Third, we are told he comes with a mighty voice, verse 2. And he cried out with a mighty voice. He is speaking here with heaven's authority. He comes down to earth. He illumines it. 
And if this is connected with chapter 19, which I think I can show you before I done, we're done, then it's connected with the prophecy that Joel writes of and Daniel mentions. But immediately after the tribulation, Jesus said, Matthew 24, after the tribulation of those days, in other words, the 70th week is over, the sun will be darkened. The moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the heavens. The power of the heavens will be shaken. And the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky. And then all the tribes of the earth will mourn. And they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with glory and great power. Now remember, this is one of the parenthetical sections. You remember the parentheses throughout the Revelation. We saw the first one in Revelation 7 where there's a break in the action and God tells us what is going on during the time of the seal judgments and there's 144,000 Jewish men who are preaching the gospel to the world. This is one of those parentheses between the last bowl, chapter 17 and 18. Chapter 17 describes what's happening in the first half of the tribulation through this religious harlot. Chapter 18 is primarily focusing what's happening on the second half of the tribulation through this commercial Babylon as well. And so he cried out, verse 2, with a mighty voice saying, fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. Repeated twice, I suppose, for emphasis, but maybe just possibly because first religious Babylon has been destroyed, but now economic commercial Babylon is going to be destroyed. And so God mentions it twice, and she is going to receive, as we'll see, double for her sins. Now, again, this place, Babylon, I suggested and I hope I demonstrated and proved to you not just from what God gives in terms of the parameters in Scripture, but from history itself, that this can only be Rome. But of course, back in the 1990s, there was a uh, brother, and he's a brother in Christ, he's not a heretic, he's a brother in Christ, and Saddam Hussein began to rebuild ancient Babylon, and so he wrote a book and argued that Babylon in Iraq is being rebuilt, and uh, this is obviously the city that the Revelation speaks of, and we're close, and he sold a ton of books as well. But that's impossible. If people would just read their Bible a little bit, they would discover that it could not be historical ancient Babylon known as Iraq. Why not? Because of what God said in Isaiah and Jeremiah. Let me read Isaiah 13 to you. Isaiah 13. And Babylon, the beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride. And you, of course, remember Nebuchadnezzar, and he is all enamored with himself, and he goes out there in his balcony, and he looks at this gorgeous, beautiful, magnificent city, and historians say it was one of the greatest cities ever built in the ancient world. The beauty of kingdoms, the glory of the Chaldeans' pride, that's God's commentary. God describes it in that way even, will be as when God overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah. Now listen, it will never be inhabited or lived in from generation to generation, nor will the Arab pitch his tent there, nor will shepherds make their flocks lie down there. These verses predict that Babylon is going to be overthrown, and they were by the Medes, 
and that God would make it a desolation, and he likens it to the desolation that came upon Sodom and Gomorrah. Similar passage describing the city comes from Jeremiah 25. Listen to these words. This whole land, speaking of Babylon, will be a desolation and a horror, and these nations will serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then it will be when 70 years are completed. Remember, that was the time of the punishment where the Jews were carried away in the southern kingdom for 70 years, just as predicted by Jeremiah 25. When these 70 years are up, he said, and are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, declares the Lord, for their iniquity and the land of the Chaldeans, the land of the Babylonians, and I will make it, listen, in everlasting desolation. In 539 BC, just like God said, the 70 years are up, the Medes are in control, Babylon is utterly destroyed. And it remains that way for a few hundred years, several hundred years. And then a guy by the name of Alexander the Great, who, by the way, is prophesied of in Daniel chapter 11, he comes on the scene. And you remember Alexander the Great who just conquered nation after nation? And when he comes to Babylon, he decides he's going to rebuild it. And no sooner does he decide to rebuild it, this 39-year-old man suddenly dies. It spooks his generals. They decide they're not going to make this their capital, and so they move to a place called Seleucia there along the Tigris River. Sodom and Gomorrah is likened to Babylon. It is likened to an everlasting destruction. Now you say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Saddam Hussein did try to build it up. Yeah, he did. He tried. He made a few buildings. The guy had an ego problem. If you know that on every single brick, every single brick he had his name imprinted. And I suppose had he not tried to rebuild Babylon, maybe he'd be alive. Here is a picture of one of his palaces in ruins. It didn't last long. Here's another picture with Marines going in. It's in ruins. And here is a satellite photo. And here is ancient Babylon. Actually, ancient Babylon is down on the right-hand corner, which he never got there. But northwest of there, you can see a few buildings. And that's what he did. And it is yet to this day to be inhabited. Fallen, fallen is Babylon the Great. This place is going to be tried and judged and found wanting by God Almighty. And we're going to see what he does in subsequent weeks. That's the sentence on Babylon. Secondly, beyond the sentence on Babylon, he now reveals the spirit behind Babylon. What is the spirit that is operating behind Babylon. Well, it's so utterly vile and corrupt because it is being energized by the devil and his demons. Look again at verse 2. Notice how commercial Babylon, the headquarters of the Antichrist, which we identified in chapter 17 as the city of Rome. Notice how it's characterized. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. Now, she has become, in other words, when, when God is ready to judge her, she is so filled with demon activity, this is true of her. He, she has become this. 
a dwelling place of demons. Now hold your finger here and turn back a few pages to Revelation chapter 12 for a moment. Go to Revelation chapter 12. You remember, this is an important chapter, when Satan and all his demons were literally cast down to the earth, out of the realm of the heavenlies. Look at Revelation 12. Let me dust off your memory for just a moment. Look at verse 7. The Bible says, and there was a war in heaven, Michael and his angels warring, waging war with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels waged war. Michael is on God's side. He is the only angel in the Bible who, with the article, is called the archangel. Now, I know we have a song, Archangels in Glory, and maybe there is more than one archangel, but there's only one that is revealed. And by the way, Satan is not God's equal. God has no equal. But Michael is. This is a fair fight. Michael, if you remember, it's recorded in Jude. Jude is not revealed in the Old Testament, but after Moses dies, Michael the archangel has a dispute with Satan over the body of Moses. In either case, this is a battle between equals, equals, and Mikael in Hebrew, it's a Hebrew word that means who is like God. It's a magnificent name that God gives him. And so, if there's any counterpart for the devil, it's this angel. And of course, the devil is described in this chapter, and we'll see the same thing when we come to the 20th chapter, as the dragon, the serpent of old, the devil, and he is Satan. And each name, each title is very illustrative of who he is. He is called, earlier in this chapter, if you look up in verse 3, he's called the red dragon. Red being the color of blood, which is a, an expression of who he is, because the thief comes only to kill and to destroy, Jesus said. Jesus said in John 8 that Satan was a murderer from the beginning. And of course, during the tribulation, his commitment to slaughter both Jews and Christians is at its height. And so we're told in verse 8 in this fight, and they were not strong enough, that is Satan and his angels, they were not strong enough and there was no longer a place found for them in heaven. Now, Satan was once called Lucifer. We hear the word Lucifer, and we say, ooh, that's kind of a dark name. It's actually a brilliant, gorgeous, magnificent name that, fall, that, that describes his unfallen state. That was his original name as a holy cherub of God. But he's renamed Satan, the devil. And at this point in human history, the devil who today has access into the heavenly realm, he's the accuser of the brethren. He comes and you remember, he, he, he comes in the presence of God with some of his demons there in Job chapter 1. But on this occasion, he is thrown out of heaven to the earth. Now, he has already had his big fall where the Lucifer became Satan. We studied that in Isaiah 14 and in Ezekiel 28 when we studied uh, this chapter in the Revelation. But this is a different fall. We'll study all the falls before we're done when we come to the 20th chapter. But here he's cast down to the earth. He's no longer the prince of the power of the air. And where does Satan and all of his demons, and how many are there? A third of all the holy angels. And I put some numbers together for you, just letting Scripture speak for Scripture. We know that there are B, not M, but B, billions of angels. And a third of all the angels that fell are literally brought down to the earth. And where do they fill themselves? What place do they make as their headquarters? Yes, this place called 
Babylon. And so notice back here in verse 3 of chapter 18, verse 3, Revelation 18. She, Babylon, has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. A prison. This is where they dwell, a hold, some translations say. Another translation says a stomping ground in every unclean spirit. And he describes them like hateful birds. Hateful birds. He uses the same analogy that Jesus uses in Matthew chapter 13 to describe unclean spirits who war against God's people. Matthew 13, unclean spirits. She has become a dwelling place of demons and a prison of every unclean spirit, and a prison of every unclean and hateful bird. This is Satan's headquarters, vile and corrupt, and like birds wanting to fall on their prey, these demons are luring people, deceiving people, convincing people to follow after the Antichrist. Now, again, this is foundational. We're going to work it all through as we go through the 18th chapter by God's grace. There's this sentence on Babylon There's the spirit of Babylon. Finally, let's think about the seduction from Babylon. Let's think about the seduction that comes from Babylon. The Babylonian system will seduce kings and merchants, and they will gladly give up things of an eternal nature for money. Look at verse 3. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the passion of her immorality. And the kings of the earth have committed acts of immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich by the wealth of her sensuality. Now, God uses sexual terms to describe this commercial empire. And of course, during this time in human history, immorality literally, physically, will be widespread like never before in human history. The body of Christ will be gone. The last vestige of salt and light will disappear. And what people today are telling our young people, it's okay to be engaged with multiple partners. It's okay to be attracted to people of the same sex and so on and so forth. It's going to have full expression in this coming day. The seeds are being planted, but there'll be full expression in this coming day when these evil fallen demons will deceive people and try to convince people out of their own sin nature to follow after. How widespread will this deception be? Go back to chapter 13 for a second. I should have told you to hold your finger there, sorry. Go back to chapter 13 for just a moment. I want you to see again foundationally how widespread this is and how he's going to convince the kings and the merchants, and he's using terms really of idolatry, because when you put something above God, it's a form of idolatry. Paul will say to the Colossians, greed is idolatry. We think idolatry is when we worship down, and like in India, they'll say, this speaker, this is God. Let's worship this speaker. They have 300 million gods in India. Everything's just about a god. You say, well, that's pagan. Well, don't forget, a third of the world still practices this kind of idolatry. But there's more than one kind of idolatry. There's idolatry of the heart. And God says, greed is idolatry. And here are these kings are being immoral and unfaithful to the Creator God, and they are worshiping the almighty buck. Well, how are they going to become rich so fast? 
Revelation 13, verse 16. And he causes all, the small and the great, and the rich and the poor, and the free men and the slaves. We're talking about a global sweep here. The small and the great, that's every social category. Whether it's the untouchables caste in India or the noble family there, the royal family in England, every class, every economic category, the rich and the poor, from the poorest person in the world to the billionaire. It doesn't make any difference. And then he adds in the free men and the slaves. Yes, slavery will be very much present. You say that, you can't be serious. Slavery? Mm Mm-hmm. God knew there would be slavery during that time, and I hope you know there's slavery today. Now, I'm not talking about sex trafficking. That's a huge problem. And our state is a leader in sex trafficking, South Carolina. If you have an engagement with a prostitute and you're caught, it's a $200 fine. So a bunch of us as pastors, we tried to convince them to raise it at least to $1,500. We have the lowest penalty of all 50 states. Can't we make it at least $1,500? Some states have three, four, five thousand dollars $5,000. So some man visits a prostitute And most of these prostitutes, you know, the average age they start, 12. Because some wicked man convinces some little girl and makes her a slave. But I'm not talking about that kind of slavery. There are 48 million people across the world in slavery. The number one Countries in the world include India, China, Pakistan, Nigeria, Ethiopia, Russia, Thailand, the DR Congo, Myanmar, and Bangladesh. And most of it is economic slavery in terms of if you borrow money and you can't pay it back in those countries, you become a person's slave. And if you don't pay it back in your lifetime, then your child becomes that slave. God knew in the future that there would be slavery because God knows the future. And he causes all the small and the great, the rich and the poor, the free men and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. A mark, a karagma. It refers to a brand, to an etching in every place, both in and outside of the Bible, even of a snake bite or a brand that someone would put on their camel, an etching of some kind will be given to people. Some kind of special tattoo. Tattooing has become very popular. Now one in five Americans have a tattoo. And if you are in the 18 to 25 range, 40% have tattoos. I'm blessed to travel to many countries of the world to preach the gospel sometimes, to minister. And wherever I go now, people have tattoos. There's probably a conditioning that is taking place. Maybe it will look like this on the right hand, or maybe it will look like this in the forehead. But I do know that day is coming. Now, whether it's associated with a chip or they're using some kind of special paint that can only be scanned, I don't know. I can tell you of technologies, but so can other people. But I do know there will be an etching. 666. He causes all to have a mark on their right hand or on their forehead. During this time period, people won't be able to buy or sell anything without taking the mark of the beast. And we'll look a little more closely at that tomorrow when we conclude our study entitled, The Fall of Babylon the Great. 
To listen again to today's message, use the Search the Scriptures app for smartphones and tablets, or visit us online at searchthescriptures.org. You can also order a CD or DVD by calling 877-787-7478 and requesting program REV50. Things are still uncertain because of the COVID pandemic, but we are praying and trusting God for a resolution soon. As such, we've begun making plans for another Search the Scriptures trip to Israel. Join Dr. Brogy as he leads an 11-day tour of the Holy Land. If you're interested, sign up to be notified as details unfold. Just visit searchthescriptures.org slash Israel. Tomorrow, the conclusion of the fall of Babylon the Great. Join us then as we search the scriptures.